0: Well, good morning, Sailorville. Good morning. Good, yeah, we're ready to go here, aren't we? Happy Mother's Day to all of you. Not all of you, obviously, but all of you mothers out there, we'll come back to that at the end. Uh, uh, We invite you to find the, I've been calling it the Gospel of Luke, not Luke, Ruth in the Old Testament. Go to Ruth. I call it Gospel because there's good news. You know, the Old Testament has many pictures or types of Jesus, our Redeemer. And this is one of the most powerful pictures in all of the Old Testament, namely in the the individual we're going to meet today. His name is Boaz. But happy Mother's Day to all of you that are mothers. And uh, we have a mother in our story, so that qualifies it worth preaching, I guess. And another woman who could only dream to be a mother, probably has died to ever becoming one. I'm talking about Ruth. But both Naomi and Ruth, I just alluded to, are going to discover what every mother and everyone else needs to discover. You need more than a son. You need a redeemer. And most of us studying uh, the drama of Ruth, and it is a drama, uh, are like the audience I referred to last week to refresh your memory of the ancient Chinese who who would oftentimes in their plays, they'd have an audience, and the audience would be looking, remember the two levels. The one Level one would be the current event, the now uh, in the act, in the drama. Uh, there would be actors on level one, and off to the side was a level two, uh, different actors representing the other actors in the future. Level two was the future. And that's where a lot of us, maybe even most of us, who've read the story of Ruth, you've studied the story of Ruth, you know what's going to happen here, right? Amen? Some of you are going, I haven't read ahead. Whatever. That's great. But for those of you who have, okay, uh, then then this morning I want you to go deeper in this story. To discover our providential God and to become more aware of him and to be able to see God, see God, not visually, but to know that he is there, to be very much aware of him in every moment and even the simple moments, uh, moments where most of us would be unaware of his acting in our lives. Uh, there are so many fascinating things about Luke chapter two. And I, Luke, you're, why am I stuck on Luke here? Ruth, chapter 2, and I can't really go into all all these, lots of comparisons, Uh, but one interesting thing is in chapter 1, chapter 1 covers 10 years. Chapter 2, one day, one day, and what a day, what a day. So you have Naomi, the mother-in-law who's destitute now. She's left, she left full, went down to Moab became empty, she lost a husband, she lost both her sons. She comes back with one foreign daughter-in-law, Ruth. And she's even renamed herself. Don't call me Naomi, which means beautiful. Call me Mara, which means bitter. And we talked about bitterness. That was big for many of you last week. Some of you are still stuck there. You need to get out of bitterness. But Naomi has not just turned, but she has returned. And that's what we have to do if we're going to get right with God. Those of you who know him, it's not enough to turn. You've got to return home. Home is a good place to be. Would you agree? And uh, so with that in mind, we pick up the story. They've entered into Bethlehem. There's a big buzz going on about this. And chapter 2 says, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was, say it, Boaz. Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him and whose sight I might find favor. And she, that is Naomi, said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened, lucky her, to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Limelech. Okay? So a little background here. In Bible times and in both Leviticus and in Deuteronomy, the Jews were instructed that when they harvested, they were not to go row to row. They weren't to go corner to corner. They were to leave the edges. And if they were harvesting olives, shake the tree, but leave the stuff that's still there. If you were doing grapes, the same thing. And if you were a wealthy farmer you would leave up to 25% of your field unharvested. Is there any wonder that the poor would be right behind you, right? So that was the law, and those who loved God, but these were the days of judges, so not many did, obeyed that law. So just to tell you, God has always been concerned for the poor. And while the poor, in this case, had to go in and get it, uh, there are no qualifications in Leviticus or Deuteronomy as to who the poor are and why you should help them. That's important because I was, I was talking to our administrative pastor, Abe, here the other day. He was telling us he was at a conference here not long ago. It was a large conference. And right outside the conference was a guy with his crutches disheveled, hat in hand, people were putting money in there. He was a beggar. When the conference emptied out, Abe and his guys that were with him were one of the last to leave, and they saw the guy walking around the corner with his crutches on his shoulders. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You said, yep, just affirms everything I ever thought about every beggar out there. I mean, these things can make us cynical, can they not? But if I see a man in a wheelchair begging... I don't then wonder if he has some cleverly devised plan to extract my money with a Lexus around the corner. And while I have to admit, it takes a pretty depraved mind to, you know, to prey upon the good, you know, mercies of common man, the common grace that God gives many people, to just to get to, to assume the lowest place in society to get that money. That's that's pretty depraved. But you got to admit, it's also. Pretty impressive, pulling that off. On the other hand, how is that any different from some of you right now, here or watching online? How are you any different? You come to church as if you're hungry and in need of God. And you leave here as prideful and self-reliant. How are you any different than a phony beggar? What if God, what if God wanted us to help the poor just because we can? And in so doing, wait for it because we're going deeper, and so doing to capture a deeper understanding of his great salvation that he has given to you and I. Because in this case, we're not like Ruth being able to go in after it, we're more like a quadriplegic needing somebody to bring it to us. And praise God, that's exactly what he did, amen? He sent his son Jesus, because we couldn't reach up. He reached down in the person of his son to bring us his great salvation. Poor ministry, of which we're working on, starts right here. Listen, it starts here in your heart. If it's not in your heart, then it just becomes another crappy program. You say, well, where's the payoff? The payoff is to look for things that are not seen. Look for what you can't see. John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace, great story. He was the pastor. I'll come back to that. But he had on his fireplace mantle this passage from Deuteronomy, which is is in the context of helping the poor, as I alluded to. Here's what he had on his fireplace mantle. "You You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt therefore I command you to do this. This is what he constantly reminded himself of. This is what we must constantly remind ourselves of. We are the beggars here. And so the next time you see a beggar, the next time you see a beggar, consider it a test of your very own heart. Will you think when you see that beggar of the love And mercy of God in your own life, or will you loathe him with your pride? As if to say, you're something more special than him or her. Ruth has gone in to glean. Gleaning was hard work. The word glean is used 12 times. It's a key component and theme in this chapter but she's working by faith. She has to be. Think about it. She has no family. She has no friends. She has no ethnic ties. She's a Moabite in a Jewish land now, and no protection from the abuses of men. Why do I point that out? Because these are the days of the what? Of the judges, when everyone did that which was right in their own eyes. You want to know how bad it was? In Judges 19, you have a Levite, goes into a Jewish town, has a concubine, the concubine is used and abused by the men of that city until she is dead. The Levite, knowing how bad things are in, in, in Israel, and you, you take what, what will it take to provoke our people?, I got, an, I got an idea. He chopped her into 12 pieces and sent her via Old Testament mail to the 12 tribes of Israel. That provoked him <laughs> to action, but that just shows you how bad things were. And here you have Ruth acting in faith. By the way, here's a question: Why didn't Naomi join Ruth? Have you ever wondered that? Was she? Were we to think of Naomi as old and decrepit, she was probably in her upper 40s or middle 50s. She still had some gas in her tank. Okay. So, why didn't she accompany? If two are better than one, as the scripture says, why did she not accompany Ruth? Plus, two women together would have discouraged the bad guys. So, why didn't she go? Now, the short answer is we don't know. We're not told. The speculative answer, my answer, is she'd given up. Remember, she'd already changed her name. She's bitter. She's she'd given up in depression had sucked the passion right out of her life. Depression sends people to bed, not to the field, to glean. And if you notice in verse 2, you got to love it, so she chooses a field randomly, <laughs> and look at it, it happened. See it there? You should underline. It just so happened. The Hebrew says, as chance chanced. We'd say, as luck would have it. Actually, this is providence. This is God moving his players into place to get his will done. Amen? I alluded to this story a few years ago, but I never shared the whole story with this, so i share it with you now on the providence of God and trusting him. Uh, so I was in a coffee shop one day, and this wealthy man from the community claimed me to be a Christian talk to me. I was telling him about our church plants and what was going on there. And I named one of our church plants where it was. He goes, I've got property. I've got empty property. There'd be a great place to, to establish a building and a place for a church right in the area where one of our church plants was. And I looked at him. I said, are you, are you suggesting you'd be willing to give us some of that property? He said, Pat, that's what I do. Can you imagine how excited I was? I was so jacked. I went and told all the other guys. It was so cool. We're making plans even. And by and by, this guy utterly and completely reneged on what he said to me. And I was a little bitter about the whole thing, to be candid. But what could I do? A couple weeks later, I'm pulling out of that same coffee shop. Out into the road, there's there's a big SUV in front of me. And all of a sudden, it starts backing up toward me. I couldn't slam it into reverse quick enough, and bang, she hit me. Hit me hard. Cracked my bumper. And uh, so I got out of the car. The, the poor gal was, felt terrible. I mean, her husband was actually pulling in as she was going out, so she instinctively backed up to talk to him. That's how she hit me. Her husband? The guy that reneged on the deal. <laughs> so now I got him. I got him. I'm standing there smiling. There's a big crack in my bumper. Yeah, that's a crack there. You see that messed up bumper thing? The guy pulls, goes and pulls out a wad, a big old wad of money. I kid you not. Whoosh, takes out a $100 bill. He goes, will that take care of it? I'm, going, I'm holding the $100 bill. I'm going, no. He goes, hey, hey, um, I got people. I got guys who can fix this. You don't need to turn this into your insurance. And I'm thinking, Uh, Maybe I do need to turn this into my insurance. (laughs) I'm really enjoying this moment, to be honest with you. (laughs) Next thing I knew, they were gone. I had the $100 bill in my hand, and I had a really, really bad conscience. Because God was working on me and showing me, really, you want to go here with this? And, I mean, my car was 10 years old. It did have a crack in the bumper. It was a little messed up, but really seriously, it wasn't that big of a deal. So as I was convicted about it, I confessed it to the Lord. I took the $100 bill. I stuck it in an envelope, wrote the guy's name on it, gave it to the teller at the coffee shop, said, when he comes in, just give this to him, and it was over. And I felt way better with that approach than the one that I would contemplated. A couple days later, I drove here to church, pulled over there on the north side, and I did something I had never done before. I backed in. I never backed in over here. I just pulled in, nosed in like most people did. But for some reason, I just backed in. I can remember getting out of the car thinking, why did I back in? And I just walked in I walked into the building. I went to my office. Literally, minutes after I go into my office, one of the gals in the office opened the door and she says, Pastor, I hate to tell you this, but the school bus just drove by and hit your car. Yeah. And guess what it took off? Just my bumper. The entire bumper. And nothing but the bumper. And I went out there, and I just smiled. I just said, God, you're so cool. This is really cool. That's pretty blatant, but the truth is God wants us to be aware of him in every moment of our lives. Boaz, she runs into this. She doesn't know what's going on, but she goes into Boaz's, Boaz's field. Boaz means strength. Literally, in him is strength. Later on, Solomon builds the temple, puts these massive pillars, two of them, right in front of the temple, and he, he, they're so cool, they're so magnificent, he names them, and he names one of them Boaz. And Boaz is going to come off as pure strength in this story as well. But back to the story, okay? Let's pick it up in Ruth chapter 2 and verse 4 where we left off. And behold, behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and he said to his reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Remember what day it is? This is so cool. Then Boaz said to the young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? The servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came. She's been doing this all day. Took a couple of breaks. That's about it. Remember what day it is. It's the day of the judges, Right? And yet, when, when, uh, when Boaz shows up, he doesn't say, yo, yo, or what's up, or sup. <laughs> what does he say? The Lord be with you. And what do they say in response? Hey, the Lord bless you. That is so cool. What a sanctuary this place must have been. In the midst of a terrible time in history, there is a place of holiness and where holiness resided. Not in a temple, they're not in a synagogue, they're certainly not in a church. But blessed is the man who makes every place a holy place. I don't mean you're a spiritual prude or weirdo, but blessed is the man who makes every place a holy place, a place of holiness. I just went, I just thought of this here. Uh, I, I went golfing with uh, the Engage guys. We get away to do business and we went golfing. That might have been the greatest challenge the whole time. Because if you want to get humble, go golfing. And uh, while we were golfing, uh, a little, it wasn't an altercation, but something happened because we had some super competitive people. Now, I can be competitive, but my golf game does not allow me to be competitive, okay? <laughs> But what was it was there was there was a moment where it wasn't very holy. But it was super cool to see the holiness of it all take place when the one who didn't respond properly in a moment just saw himself as not being holy and admitted it. So what, what does it mean to make every place holy? It doesn't mean you make it, you don't, it doesn't mean you make it perfect. Not at all. Holiness isn't perfection, it's reflection in the moment, seeing God and responding rightly. I was at an auction here it was a few years ago, I was an auction, and it was packed out, and I was between two guys who were obviously friends, literally shoulder to shoulder, and they were just just profa- just emitting one profanity, one bomb after another. And, and it was really disgusting stuff. And finally there was a lull and one of them goes, "Hey, what do you do for a living?" Normally, I like to stay incognito in these moments, but not this time. I said, well, I pastor a church down the street. They were like holy instantly. <laughs> there was no more profanity for the next 15 minutes. Now, that's just totally superficial, but our holiness has got to come from the inside out. Amen? By the way, if you notice just from the reading, verses 5 through 9 even, every reference to the man and every ref- reference to the woman has has young men, young women. These are all young men. These are all young women. Everybody's young except Boaz. Tradition says Boaz was 80 and Ruth was 40. I don't think that tradition is accurate, but I'm certain there was at least 20 years between them. And he, he comes and says, who, whose is this? Isn't that, he doesn't say who, but whose is this? He's assuming she belongs to somebody. And the short answer from one of his workers, the foreman, says, well, she's nobody, really. She's just a foreigner, but she's out working everybody. And and, and Ruth's reaping gave her away as poor, but still, where did she come from? Whose was she? He didn't recognize her. And in verse 6, the servant says, well, she's the Moabite woman. Remember Bethlehem was not a large metropolis, okay? It wasn't then. It wasn't in the time of Jesus' day. When the Bible says in chapter 1, verse 19, the whole city was a buzz, don't think thousands, think hundreds at the most, okay? So Boaz knew about this, but he didn't know Ruth, so his question is legit. I mean, just the other day, somebody was telling me about somebody. You've had that, haven't you, where somebody's telling you about somebody else, and you're going, I have no idea what you're talking about. And then they said something that they'd done, and bang, all the dots were connected. Oh, oh, yeah, I know her. This is what happened to Boaz. He's connecting dots as his servant responds to him. And he's probably thinking things. Oh, yeah, I remember Naomi and Elimelech, and they had a couple of boys, didn't they? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, he's making connections. But if you're thinking as a result, he's, look, he's checking out Ruth, you know, like, hey, hey possible wife here. You'd be wrong. And we pick it up in verse 8. Then Boaz said to Ruth, this is their first verbal encounter. Now listen, my what? He doesn't say, listen, hottie. Don't go to glean another field or leave this one, but keep close by my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they're reaping. Go after them. "'Have have I not charged the young men not to touch you? "'And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink "'what the young men have drawn.' Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, "'said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes, "'that you should take notice of me, since I'm a foreigner?' Boaz coughs it up then. "'I've heard all about you. "'I've heard the whole story. "'I've heard the whole shebang.'" He says in verse 12, The Lord repay you for what you've done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. What a beautiful expression. And she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord. You've comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Did you see what he said to her? My daughter. Isn't that cool? And I'm old enough to call half the women in this church my daughter. And my duty and my joy is not only to express the word of God, but to extend the love of God to you in purity and holiness And Ruth's gratitude just explodes, doesn't it? Just beautiful. And she is a picture of how you and I, who come to know the living God, ought to express ourselves, ought to respond to God. I wish I had the joy. I wish I had the euphoria constantly that I had on the day I was saved. I literally walked around the house. I still remember walking around the house with Bible in hand going, I can't believe my sins have been forgiven. I can't believe my sins have been forgiven. I remember that. And how I want that, how we need that to be like Ruth. Ruth has already provided the most beautiful declaration of faith in chapter one. Your God will be my God. Where you go, I'm going to go, right? Now Boaz provides us with one of the most beautiful descriptions of faith. You've come to God under whose wings, what an expression, you've come to take refuge. But it gets even deeper and more beautiful. Listen to this, those of you who have already gone to level two, because you know the next scene. The word wings there, the Hebrew literally conveys this. Are you ready for it? It literally conveys the corner of a loose garment. That's what the word means. The word wings, a corner of a loose garment. You see where I'm going here? The next time we see Ruth, she will ask Boaz to physically do what God has spiritually done for her. As if to say, she's going to come to Boaz in that you know, barn room, and she's going to say, God has covered me with his love. I'd like you to do the same. How cool is that? Boaz doesn't come, to Ruth, doesn't come on to Ruth, rather, but he does protect her. And soon enough, he'll do so with his love. And he puts what one person calls the the first anti-sexual law laid down in history. I've told everybody not to touch you, right? And then in verses 14 through 16, Boaz just pours it out on her, gives her an abundance of food and and, uh, enough for weeks. But let's pick it up in verse 17, shall we? Verse 17. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening, and she beat out what she had gleaned, it was about an ephah of barley. I'll come back to that. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law, Naomi, saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left, had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed is the man who took notice of you. The drama is building because Ruth hasn't told her, hasn't said anything to her yet. Now, Naomi is starting to connect, connect dots. Ruth is basically saying, "A nice man set up, set us up for a couple of weeks." Naomi is about to say, "Nice man, that nice man's going to set us up for a life." And I'll get to that in a moment, but I want to conclude our time with four questions for you and for me, since all Scripture is supposed to be profitable, right? Applicable. Here are the questions, and I ask that you take them to heart. First, have you seen yourself as poor? Have you seen yourself as poor? Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of God. Have you ever read that? If you want to be rich in faith... You first need to be poor in spirit, or you'll be poor for the rest of your life and for all eternity. You are the beggar in this story. You're the beggar. I'm the beggar. Only those poor in spirit hunger after God. And you've got to be hungry to hunger, right? William Cooper, it looks like Cowper, he, was, uh, he, he wrote many great poems and hymns of the faith. In the middle 1700s, John Newton, referred to earlier, was his pastor and encouraged him to write these things. But what a lot of people don't know is that Cooper suffered greatly with depression and even sanity. But he would tell us that during his darkest times came his brightest works. I say it to you again. During his darkest times came his brightest works. Listen to this poem that he wrote uh, titled, For the Poor. Now, it's a long poem. I'm just going to give you the last stanza of the poem where he wrote, To Jesus then, that is in light of your poverty, To Jesus then, your trouble bring, nor murmur at your lot. While you are poor and he is king, you shall not be forgot. I ask you again, have you seen yourself as poor? You have to, if you want to enter into the kingdom of God. Secondly, is the joy of the Lord your strength? Boaz means strength. And what a joyful man he was, right? The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you. Remember that? And Nehemiah saying to the the Jews in Jerusalem after they built the wall, the joy of the Lord is what? It's your strength. The ephah, the the, what, what all of this barley that had been given to Ruth amounted to estimate somewhere between 29 and 50 pounds, and I'm sure she didn't live next door, that she would take home. I mean, we're not told what Ruth... I know she's she depicted as... pretty. We're not told that she's... Pre- she might have looked like Olga for all I know, but she... That was a stupid comment if there ever was one. (laughs) But she carried up to 50 pounds of this back home. Weeks worth of food. How did she carry it? I'll tell you how she carried it. With joy. That's how she carried it. Isn't it true? When you have the joy of God, you are lighter on your feet. You can carry about anything. You can push through just about anything. Amen? Ruth had no idea what Boaz was up to, or would be up to, but, she carried, but joy carried her as she carried the food. Listen, if your life is burdened with heaviness, think, think, think on what Christ has done for you. You've got to go back to the gospel. In the great hymn, How Great Thou Art, here is my favorite line. It's my absolute, one of my favorite lines of all hymns ever written. And here it is. And when I think that God, his son, not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. That's my favorite line. But I have to think To be a worshiper, and it's the thinking that will bring you the joy of the Lord in your heaviness. It'll lighten your load and strengthen your spirit. So, is the joy of the Lord your strength? Thirdly, are you aware of God's providence in your life? I didn't ask you if you believe it, and I'm assuming most of you do. Are you aware of it? Did you see this? I mean, Naomi has just come out of her depression. She'd go, Holy smokes, where'd you get all this grain? Who'd you go work for? Well, let's go find out. Let's go to chapter 19 where we left off, or not chapter, verse. Blessed be the man who took notice of you. And Ruth told her mother in law with whom she had worked, The man's name with whom I work today is, say it, Boaz. Boaz. And Naomi came out of her shoes. May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness is not forsaken. The living or the dead. Naomi said to her, the, the man is a close relative, one of our redeemers. Hallelujah. She sees the providence of God at work in her life. One of my favorite expressions in all the Old Testament is when Jacob, who's on the run, gets a vision from God. He sees angels going up, angels coming down, and when he wakes up, he says this, surely the Lord was in this place, and I wasn't, what, say it, wasn't aware of it. That's half our problem right there. That's half your problem right there. God in the everyday moments of your life and you don't even see it. Oh God, open our eyes so that we can see what he's doing in our lives. He wants you to see this. Are you aware of God's providence? And finally, finally and most importantly, have you been covered in the righteousness of God? Have you? Boaz As we'll see big time next week, is a picture of our Redeemer. He is a Redeemer, and he's a picture of our greater Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't know it yet. He rejoiced over Ruth's conversion, right? Certainly. He'd soon cover her with his garment, just as God Wants to cover you with his righteousness. Remember, the word "wings" to is like means conveys the idea of being covered loosely with a loose garment. Some of you are here today, and you're super religious, but you're incredibly lost. You have never seen yourself as poor. You've never seen yourself as the beggar, and until you do, you can't be saved. You have nothing to give to God other than your sin. And when you give that to God, and you believe in the cross, that Christ died for you and rose again, then the scripture tells us, he who knew no sin and became sin for us, gives us his righteousness. Extracting your unrighteousness, he gives you his righteousness. He covers you forever. He marries you into his family. And if you don't get that cover, then you will shiver for the rest of eternity. Have you been covered with the righteousness of God? Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the second act in the story of Ruth. And what a story. It is a love story, but it's your love that we revel over, the much greater love. And Boaz is a redeemer, but your son is a greater redeemer, and we worship him as such. Lord, I pray for those who are here who are still shivering in their sins and need the blanket of your love and righteousness to cover them. If that's you, dear friend, right now, acknowledge your sin. Acknowledge your poverty. Acknowledge your inability to come to God. And right now in your heart, right now, believe that God sent Jesus to die for you. For you. You say, I'm not worthy. No, of course you're not. None of us are. And yet he offers his love for you. Would you believe in him today? Would you trust in him today? Would you believe he died for you today? Would you say to God, Lord, I'm a sinner, I'm lost, I'm cold. I need your salvation. I need your forgiveness. I need your covering. And then, God, I pray that you would send those in this room and watching online out into the world And into the everyday mucky-muck of life, give them the awareness of yourself, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.